Broadcasting live from a mustache match cut, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. And today we are finally getting through to the newest in the Kingsman series, or honestly, one of the weirdest movies I've seen in a long time. We'll get into it later, but it's uh, it's going to be a doozy, I think. Yes, but before we get into the Kingsman, we've got a couple of Properties that you and I are excited about to talk about, Seamus, which is a nice change of pace. First up being absolutely fantastic news. <laughs> Jason Momoa, Aquaman himself, will be playing the antagonist in the 10th Fast and the Furious film. I'm sure by the end of it, he will he will come around and he'll join the family <laughs> before facing whatever the real big bad is. But, oh, man. I was uh, going to ask you that question, because a lot of people were saying the exact same thing uh, as soon as that news dropped, but I almost hope they don't. I feel like he would fit absolutely right in, but I kind of want him to just be a ruthless bad guy, like kind of what Jason Statham was before he, too, joined the family, you know? <laughs> but... Like, even more, like, psycho-ripped giant. Because he's, you know, he's way bigger and stronger than Jason Statham anyway. And So was John Cena. That is true. I think it has to be time travel. Maybe Jason Momoa is, like, Dom's grandson from the future. He's trying to go back to the past to stop, I don't know, to actually kill Letty this time, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing we have to talk about is the long-anticipated trailer for the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus limited series streaming May 25th. I think I think we should acknowledge right up top. The timing on this is a little suspicious. Uh, mm-hmm. Disney has been under some fire recently for LGBT statements that they've made, people who they're backing. We're going to dive into all of that in our pop culture reference because we feel like if we're going to cover the Kenobi trailer, we also have to cover the thing that... The Kenobi trailer is maybe trying to distract from. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, taking this on its own merits as Star Wars fans, as people who have wanted to see Ewan McGregor come back to the franchise for a long time, I have been very critical of recent Star Wars things, namely the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian (laughs) Season 2. Yeah, of course. But despite my problems with those i am very much so far liking the look of this they're definitely throwing a lot of interesting stuff out there in this first trailer i i think ewan mcgregor looks fantastic but that's just in pretty much everything i see him in grand inquisitor what up he's here he's he's doing grand inquisitor things he's not looking super great <laughs> he does have looks his a little cool weird spinny lightsaber i like that but that species i feel like you and i were talking about before the show i feel like looked better in 2005 in Revenge yeah, of the Sith than it does absolutely. now. In that little group of Inquisitors in that trailer, wasn't there also the, uh, some of the Fallen Order folk in there? Um, I don't think any Fallen Order folk that I noticed. Fallen Order would be set about five years before this, I think. And I think decidedly the Inquisitors from that game will not be in this show. Right. I, however, I do think maybe the fifth brother from Star Wars Rebels I saw in there. Oh, is that who I'm thinking of, maybe? There's, think a, there's a lot of quick flashes of Inquisitors. The there's dude with be the green some... face and the, like, tea hat. Right, gonna... yeah, yeah. I think they bring him in season two of of Rebels. Well, I am super happy that this is going to be a limited series, because they're, like you were kind of saying before, the Book of Boba Fett is, is kind of what we're thinking about right now, or a lot of what I'm thinking about right now in terms of Disney Plus shows. 
for Star Wars. So if they've got a plan and they're going in and out and they're not going to just drag it out with a lot of unnecessary cameo stuff. And from what this trailer looks like, it's going to be pretty interesting. Look, we got like young Luke is doing his thing and they got the guy from the prequels who played Uncle Owen to be back. Joel Edgerton, he looked, he's back, yeah. He's looking great. I hope he gets some cool stuff to do. We see Fortress Inquisitorius. We see Ob- yeah. uh, confirmed Obi-Wan's going off-world, I guess, because that is in the trailer. I'm still very nervous about the fact that I know it's going to happen, and I hate that it's going to happen. I just don't want Obi-Wan and Darth Vader to see each other, but Darth Vader... I mean, he's in the Entertainment Weekly pictures that got released this week. Also, I think, very convenient timing on that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to see each other. They're probably going to fight, and I hate it. I hate that that's happening. Yeah, um, I really hope not, but we already know it's going to go down. Unless there's some insane justification for how or why that would make any sense for what we see in a new hope that would you know really roll back some weird canon stuff but whatever unless there's a miracle on that end i feel like it's gonna feel really weird and maybe drag the show down a little bit i don't know the show hasn't come out yet i i can't i can't say that but it's gonna feel weird to me that could justify that is that this this can be the story where obi-wan learns that that vader's alive and who vader is I think that that is interesting. That is a pivotal moment for Obi-Wan and like what mm. he sees his duty as out in that desert, you know. You currently have borrowed from me a uh, from a certain point of view of about mm-hmm, a new hope. Yeah. And there's a really great story in there from Obi-Wan's perspective where he talks about his view on being out in the desert and what it means to him and uh, like all the time that he spent out there. I think there's a lot of themes there to play with and Deborah Chow I think has done pretty much the best episodes of The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to see her continue to do that quality, that caliber of work with with Obi-Wan. I'm keeping an open mind, despite the fact that I'm very nervous about that concept. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I said this before, that the, that prequel music really suckers me in, and I know they're going to do a lot of that. They're going to bust out Duel of the Fates in the probably the coolest moments of that show, and it's, it's really going to try to get me, but I'm... I'm keeping an open mind. I don't want to get too much hype up for this because I know that that is dangerous, especially with what I've been seeing recently. But it'll it'll be interesting, to say the least. Maybe we'll do the premiere or finale or something together. Oh, the, here, let me look at the schedule party. right now. May 25th, right? I think May we can bump John Wick 4 for the Kenobi <laughs> premiere. Yeah. Hell yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, God bless fun. you, John Wick, but come on. But uh, should we move on to the, uh, another Disney thing? Here we go. The King's Man. Let's do it. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about the third installment in the Kingsman franchise slash the first installment in the Kingsman <laughs> Kingsman spinoff series. The Kingsman, as previously stated, uh, starring Ray <laughs> Fiennes, Jaman Hanzu, Gemma Arterton, Reese Evans, Tom Hollander, and the kid who's na- the main kid whose name I do not know. Um, I know his name is Conrad in the movie. His he name is, very is Harris Dickinson, which is quite a name. Yeah, it really is. That's a British name for you, isn't it? Very British, as as all Kingsman things are. What were your thoughts on the Kingsman? 
Seamus. What were my thoughts on the King's Man? Garrett, it was an interesting film, I'll <laughs> say. It was, as all Kingsman movies are, a bit confusing in tone, and I think that I still had a lot of fun with a lot of this movie, even though some of the weird history things that we'll get into in spoilers might... Well, I definitely know they rub you the wrong way, but I'm far enough down the rabbit hole of this movie. By the time we get to the end credits scene, God help us, <laughs> it's more alternate history than I was expecting. And I am, le- I, myself personally, I'm choosing to lean into that to save a lot of the enjoyment of what this movie offers, I think. I have a bigger problem with it than you do, I think, in general, <laughs> but... It is a fun ride. It is a really genuinely entertaining film. Yes, and I definitely. Think the story at its core, what's going on with the characters in the film, with Ray Fiennes' character Oxford and his son Conrad and the other components that will eventually create like what we know as the Kingsman organization, mm-hmm. I think what they're going through is compelling and interesting, and I like their relationships. It's insistence. I just realized this movie's Forrest Gump, actually, is totally <laughs> what I just realized. It's and you do not like Forrest Gump. I do not like Forrest Gump. And it's insistence on its marriage to historical fact, or rather historical fiction, is hindering its ability to tell that compelling story. It's getting in the way of the story itself. Like, Forrest Gump, I think, at its core, is a really good, interesting film uh, with great performances, with great characters. The score is amazing. I think the directing is amazing. This is this is not a Forrest Gump podcast. But <laughs> the reason I cannot stand Forrest Gump is all of this work that it's doing within history and its disruption of history. And this is the same thing. It's the same exact problem I have with Forrest Gump that I have mm-hmm. with this movie. This movie, I think I let get away with it a little bit more, even though I probably shouldn't because it's a different genre. It's chasing different things because this is just here to take you on a roller coaster ride through World War One pastiche. Or as Forrest Gump is here to like mm. make you nostalgic for an America that never existed and attribute so many great moments in history to kismet, I guess, or dumb luck. <laughs> I don't know. We'll yeah. do a Forrest Gump show someday, maybe. But I, I just it, apart, it just now but... clicked in my head that I have the same problem with both of these movies. But at least in this movie, there is a lot of really fun action stuff and totally. A lot of the actual World War One battle scenes are very impressive and brutal and really dark stuff. We started this movie together, actually, but we didn't finish it together. And we picked the funniest place. We'll get into that. We picked the funniest place to, to stop for the day on our first half. But I feel like it was almost better watching it in that way to get that, that first half, second half of just insanity because it is a considerably long movie so much stuff happens in this movie but it's like you said things that are trying to fit into history in the context of the kingsman universe that it feels a little blocky in a lot of places yeah and i really do enjoy the action it's some of the best action in the kingsman franchise as a whole the third act specifically is full of really memorable really compelling Mm. set pieces I agree with you that the World War One stuff is, is kind of stunning. Maybe not entirely appropriate for its historical context, but I'll, sure, I'll let that yeah. slide. It's like they watched 1917 and said, what if this was <laughs> fun, though? Like, <laughs> What if it was Battlefield 1 style? 
Yeah, it's exactly that, actually. <laughs> it really is. Kingsman has a video game aesthetic. And yeah, exactly. I think that makes sense to be set during World War One, given the lore of Kingsman that was already established. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes sense to apply the Kingsman mentality to that conflict. So in general, even though I think it's maybe a little bit disrespectful, I mean, like, I have no problem with Overlord being a, a dumb bee zombie movie. World War One battles can be fun. Sure, I'll let them have it. But should World War One as a as like a geopolitical conflict and concept be fun? Probably not. We'll uh we'll talk about that again much more in spoilers, I think. Yeah, I think so too. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird lines to cross over there. Um do you have any final spoiler free thoughts? I mean, is it a spoiler to say I look forward to the next Kingsman? Um, no, I don't think that's a spoiler to say. I think I do look forward to that, that as insane as they set that up to be, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be weird. I don't know if they're gonna make it, because I don't know how this movie really did. Oh yeah, I guess I haven't checked. That was like a complex issue, because this was, uh, impacted, of course, by the COVID-19 pandemic, um, among other things. Ooh, yeah, that's not great. Oh Um, no! Did not do super well. It did not do well critically it kind of was divided critically mm. it made like as of march 6th which uh, as at time of recording is four days ago it's only made 125 million dollars mm. which is not a lot of money for a movie yeah. that probably cost that to make i was gonna say so oh, maybe, i mean maybe we'll get a king's man show in a couple years i get a would reset. be interested in that actually. right i feel like that would um, work on, on like hulu or whatever yeah totally King, like do it like Assassin's Creed style, Kingsman through the conflicts between World War One to the first Kingsman movie, and it doesn't even have to be set necessarily during a war. You could just kind of do whatever. Seventies Kingsman, that sounds great. I'd watch that. Hell yeah. So yeah, this movie, the worst of the Kingsman trilogy, if you want to call it that. Right now, it's a very, it's in a very weird spot. Did you just dub this the worst of the three? Oh, certainly. Yeah, interesting. The the history stuff. Shane, no, really I can. get it. I get it. I know. Probably for somebody who doesn't know a lot of those intricacies that we know watching this movie, they probably had an absolute blast. They probably were distracted so little of that, and they all probably love Forrest Gump too. And did not think about it. <laughs> I don't think you're a bad person if you love Forrest Gump. Just for the record. But yeah, spoilers. I think now for the Kingsman. Yes. Man. Oh, let's spoiler it up. Where do you want to start on this on this movie? As you alluded to earlier, you and I stopped watching at pretty much exactly the halfway point. Yes. And boy, does this movie have a doozy of a midpoint event. Because Conrad, the character who is essentially the exe of this film, the character that you think is going to be the lead for the first half of the film, in true Kingsman style. By the way, we're spoiling all the Kingsman movies now. We're just talking oh, about yeah. them all. Well, listen to last week's episode if you have any confusion. Similar to Harry Hart, Colin Firth in the first film is killed. Halfway through this movie, one of the main characters, the hero character, is killed halfway through this film. And Ray finds the mentor character in a, in a very interesting twist. Uh, a subversion of standard storytelling hero's journey practice is the lead for the rest of the film. Kind of wild. It's great. I think that's the best thing about this movie is the fact that they absolutely are brave enough. It's scary to yeah, kill your I, young lead. I loved it. I, I was almost, I was scared that they were going to pull out some sort of BS World War One headshot prototype serum from America to like bring him back at the end. But you were, you were just talking about it. We stopped... They were in no man's land having a silent knife fight. We stopped as they were creeping towards each other. 
with their knives out. And then we ca- I came back like a day later, and it just took the hardest left turn of all time. It really and did. it was a blast. That's why I was kind of saying before, watching it in two parts was kind of incredible. The way we did it was just like, it was like Young young Gun and then Ray Fiennes returns. Ray Fiennes' revenge for part two. It's actually really, really brilliant storytelling in another regard. In the first Kingsman film, Harry says to, to Eggsy, the organization was initially backed by prominent houses who lost their heirs during the Great War, and all of that yeah. uninherited money had to go somewhere. I think lining it up with like the bits and pieces we got of the history from the first one, I think it's it's a great setup and or a great follow through, I guess, as a setup. It's a weird way to say that, but also quick question: Am I crazy, or was Stanley Tucci at the end of this movie? Stanley Tucci's also sitting in the, the middle Kingsman of this too. movie. He's the American ambassador in oh, London. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that um, almost forgot about. Very strangely small part in this film. I'm assuming intended to be in the sequel or had a yeah, sequence yeah. of his own cut i hope he's in a sequel I, I genuinely really like him and the little stinger at the well not the stinger at the end i mean i don't know if we would even want to like we'll probably get there with the history we, talk we will but... get there yeah we will get there <laughs> uh, i think that, that last scene that you're referring to it's the last scene in the film before the credits is the foundation of the Kingsman Secret Service, where Ray finds his character, Oxford. He's like, I'll be Arthur, ha ha ha, you know. And <laughs> yeah. you've got Jem um, R. Turton's characters there, Jamon Hansu's the new Merlin, but yeah. in a bizarre choice, not only is the U.S. ambassador Stanley Tucci, Bedivere, one of, he's, he's one of the knights. He's one of the B-knights, I don't remember which one. The king is there? King George? Yeah. He's a <laughs> yeah. little Kingsman? Isn't that kind of like wild? Elizabeth's grandfather <laughs> is a kingsman. He's Percival. He's not even Arthur. The king doesn't even get to be the king. He is just a guy. He's just um, one of them. And which, then also Quicksilver's here too. He oh, got I nothing about to do. Him. Yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson seemed to me like he was supposed to be like a setup for. Is he Exe's like grandfather? Is he yeah, Harry's right? grandfather? Is he like? something connected to the present. No, he's just the guy that they brought in to be the young lead in the sequel. So That's exactly right. They were like, "All right, we're going to kill this guy. We need a we need somebody that they'll remember for this one to carry over. And he'll he'll just be the next one." Yeah, it's just so weird. And I think that scene is so awkward and everybody looks weird in it. They've got their glasses on, which makes sense because it's Kingsman, right? But yeah, they've all got like weird haircuts and stuff. Like Jim Archerton looks completely different than she's looked the rest of the movie. Apparently, Merlin's gotta be bald because John <laughs> yeah, Hans you is pointed bald that out. Weird for sure, but I kind of like it because that means if we do get that Assassin's Creed era episodic thing, we'll just get to see different bald, fun Merlins. Okay, um, I gotta, I gotta do my thing now, though, Seamus. Yeah, I, I, I need you moment. to, I need you to pop the cork on this. I need, I, I need we need to really, because it's important. You're not, you're almost setting it up like a chore. It's like the crux of the weird problems of this movie pretty much come from the, all of this. So I, I, I want to hear it. I'll answer the movie chronologically, right? So okay, the first thing is we have set up as the main villain, who's set up as the main villain of the film and the marketing certainly indicates it's the main villain of the film, is Rasputin. Russian priest who had Tsar Nicholas's ear preceding, you know, the Russian Revolution and during mm-hmm. the Great War. You know who Rasputin is, probably. I don't need to sit here and you, You've heard the song. You understand. Um, 
Rasputin, he's a, he's a villain that makes sense for Kingsman to me. He's weird, and yeah, he's a, he's freak a bad in this movie. dude. He's, he's an objectively bad dude that had very questionable methods and influence on history. I think, like, I'm cool with that. Do with him what you will. It makes sense. They have fun kind of subverting the whole Rasputin doesn't die thing. Yeah. Reese Evans does a really good job. I think that's a very unsettling scene where he's, like, seducing slash intimidating Oxford refines in in private. Yeah, just, like, licking his legs and just, like, absolutely freaking out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. And that, that fight scene, I think, is very compelling. Mm-hmm. I'll meet that on its own term. But where this movie starts really losing it for me is... So there's this big conspiracy headed by some kind of Scottish mastermind. Later revealed to be Matthew Good's character, who's like a lower level... He's like a captain like or something in the, yeah. in the Navy, in the British Navy. This idea of, like, he's engineering World War One basically. He is engineering the Great War because... He wants retribution against Britain for, like, their oppression of Scotland, which isn't a bad idea, I don't think. it's Like, it's politically sound. It's just weird. Sure. It's already a weird thing, because if you want to talk about who was most impacted by World War One, it's not the Brits. I hate to say it. Well, and, not with the outcome of this movie. I mean, the Great War was bad for everybody. I'm not going to... Yeah, it was horrible. Don't it was get it nightmare. twisted. But the way weirder choice is how everybody is working with him like princip the serbian guy who assassinated archduke franz ferdinand working with the black hand a real shadowy organization in serbia is retroactively made into a member of like the flock or whatever this is called do they even ever say that well he's the shepherd right yeah yeah matthew good scottish fellow so he's in the flock right that makes sense But I think that's so awful in the fact that Oxford and Conrad are there at the assassination of the Archduke. Yeah, they're in the car. Again, it's this Forrest Gumpiness. I I hate that. I do enjoy the... Again, there's some things about this that are... Like, it's clear that they know about World War I and about what was actually going on because you've got Tom Hollander, an actor I'm incredibly fond of, playing King George, the Kaiser and Tsar Nicholas all, all at once, because mm-hmm. they're all, of course, grandsons of Queen Victoria. They're cousins, technically. Yeah. And I think that's a really cute little, like, yeah, making this into, like, a family squabble is... Like, the kid flashback. It, it's it, it's not accurate, but it is something that... It's commenting on the kind of stupidity that started World mm-hmm. War One and how horrific that conflict ended up becoming. Mata Hari is here. For some reason, uh, <laughs> she resembles in no capacity Matahari in real life. Oh, Charles Dance, he plays Lord Kitchener, who is also a real dude that died exactly the way he's depicted dying in the movie. But I mean, Len- Lenin is here. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about Lenin. Lenin yeah, Lenin. <laughs> yeah. Le- Lenin. He just shows up the next day after Rasputin dies. He's like, yeah, all right, my turn. Like, and Lenin works again. For this guy, the idea of yeah. the Russian Revolution being instigated by a Scottish mercenary? I don't know, that's insane. And then the idea, additionally, that the entire plot of this movie, the thing around which this movie revolves, is the Zimmerman telegram, the communique sent from Germany to Mexico telling Mexico that if they align with Germany and attack the United States that Germany, like, promised them land and in the U.S. and stuff. 
So the Zimmerman telegram was instigated by this secretive organization, and the entire goal of the heroes in this film is to get America into World War I. And I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Because it's horrible. Wow, did America not need to be in World War One? It's not World War Two where Americans have we have this idea of like, oh well, we came in and we saved Europe, and that's kind of true. It's it's an oversimplification, certainly, but we did actually come in and really help out. World War One was a senseless war that we did not need to get involved in. And Wilson, the worst thing he did during his entire presidency is get us involved in World War One. And that's like the central conflict of this movie. That's a horrific thing to frame the good thing to do as. I think it's such a crass oversimplification. Just the depravity of the fighting and the senselessness of the death. Mm. It's unlike anything we've ever seen. It's definitely really chilling when there's like a victory moment. Because also the thing that's keeping America out of World War I is the president being blackmailed by being like seduced by a, a honeypot spy. What a weird movie. Cause then it's like that. It's like, get me my generals. We're going to war. And then it's like a fade. It's like a cross fade to like, we did it. We won. Everyone's happy. We're cheering in the streets. It's the weirdest. It almost to me, it feels like, I don't know if you also felt super weird about this, in the actual, like, in the personal character moments where Ray Fiennes is, like, has his showdown with the Scottish guy, like, some of the last words of Conrad, Ray Fiennes' son, was like, I thought I knew what I wanted, my dad was right, this is horrible, and then he dies in a battlefield, and then... Ray Fiennes takes his medal and uses it to murder the guy that's in charge and says, I'm now the man my son wanted to be and commits a murder. It's the weirdest confusion of what we should be celebrating in any of this. And it's all over this movie. It's the grand Kingsman tradition of (laughs) not fully connecting your themes to the violence present in the film like not being able to follow through on the thematics of what you're trying to say absolutely it's it's the flavor of action movie that these movies are the kingsmen are just confusing and i can't wait until we get like a 70 or like a like a 60s vietnam era kingsman where it's like you know what guys communism really is evil we need to go to war and do kingsman (laughs) stuff there yeah. It's the weirdest. That's It's coming down the pike. I mean, it's what makes these movies unique. And even though it makes them a bit worse, it makes them very interesting. I also think it's a really interesting choice to focus so heavily on America and America's involvement in World War One and trying to infiltrate America with the Kingsman yeah. circle of spies and have one offline about Statesman Whiskey. Like, that seems like the perfect opportunity to really focus on statesmen and, Dude, yeah, and the, the connection between those two organizations. The, the weirder part is, is that he says that line twice. They don't even pay it off with a third time where he's like, statesmen, statesmen, huh, that gives me an idea. Like, there's, it almost feels like they were going to and they just, nothing, just nothing. I do want to talk about other things. I really want to talk about the third act. But we have to talk about Lenin in this movie in the post credit scene where he says, <laughs> now that the left hand 
Uh, oh uh, yeah, Daniel Brule is here. He's, raised, he's doing that. We have to raise an equally powerful right hand, which is insane in its own. Like the idea of <laughs> Lenin saying that, insane. No, no, no. Lenin doesn't say that. Dan- Daniel Brule says that to Lenin. But Lenin agrees. Lenin's like, like, Lenin's Lenin's like you're there. definitely right. And then out of the shadows, David Cross, not that David Cross, the other one, comes out as the mustached man is how they credit him. And it's it's Hitler, all right. Oh, it's, it's Hitler. You can tell by the silhouette that it's Hitler. Like Nick Fury stepping out of the shadows <laughs> in Iron Man 1, we have reduced one of history's greatest monsters to a post-credits stinger. And yeah. as tone-deaf as everything else in this movie is, that is like the cherry on top. That honestly, that flipped the switch for me. That made everything okay again. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is just like nonsense now. This is absolute cartoonery." Well, well that's I'm okay thing, with it. Is I wish that they had leaned in more. If they want to go full Tarantino, go full Tarantino, dude. Go full alternate history because all they're doing is like setting up the thing that, like, you know, Ferdinand gets killed. Everybody in the audience knows where that scene's going, and they do it and they knock it down. Kitchener dies. Wilson joins the war. Like, it all happens the yeah. way you think it's going to happen. Nicholas is assassinated. You know, Kaiser Wilhelm. They, lo- they like they, Also, they pin the war on Germany still. Like, despite the fact that it's not Germany's fault, Germany's still the bad guy in this movie. Well, Which Hitler like, shows up at the end. They have to. Yeah, but I know, but, like, Germany in World <laughs> is not the same as Germany in oh, World War II. Oh, I know, it's just I not. know. It's, Germany's still the bad guy in this, even though... They have the perfect opportunity to say, like, oh, well, nobody's really at fault for the war. I mean, even though that's not true. Scotland is really the bad guy. The answer is, in World War One, everyone's the bad guy. Yeah, That's exactly. the secret. That's the thing we learn from history, is that the powers overstepped what they thought they could do, what they thought they should do, and millions upon millions of innocent people lost their lives because they were playing with things that they didn't understand. But in this, it's, yeah, all a conspiracy based on Scotland needing revenge. Well, based on one Scotsman needing revenge. And it's very, very weird. I I also don't think that's really fair to Scotland, to be honest, because, you know, what the English did to Scotland during that time period was bad. Like, you you compared it to, uh, like, the Killmonger thing of, like, weirdly, like, it's interesting motivations where it's like, they they have right to be angry, I guess, maybe not in this way, sparking World War I or whatever. But it doesn't commit to the Killmonger idea of, like, Killmonger changes T'Challa's mind. He does. He's, He's right. Killmonger is right. He should do it that way. But, like, this movie doesn't seem to think or be interested in exploring the idea that the shepherd is right. It doesn't care. Scotland is lip service to this movie. We don't explore that theme at all. We don't explore that period of history. It's just a thing to slap on as motivation. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they didn't even... I I was thinking about it after the fact, too, that Conrad is killed by a Scottish soldier Uh and that Conrad switches places with Quicksilver, who is a Scottish soldier in this movie, and how they could have maybe had more than two lines with either of them about like what Scotland feels like about anything thematically relevant to the to the main plot but they really do not at all and I think that is probably their biggest missed opportunity to kind of do what you were saying and 
make this main villain like something more than what it was. I just I, once we got to the big reveal of who the Scott Scottish guy was, like it it shocked me for weird reasons because I thought I mean I thought that guy wasn't going to be the big bad. I thought he was going to be like a henchman, but yeah. Also, the fact that they revealed it in a cinematic way, they revealed it like I should have been gasping for a lot of reasons, and it was just like very weird and not earned in a lot of ways that they could have fit in maybe some kind of way to make that feel a little more important. I will never be able to reconcile the choices that this movie makes with its history, with the themes that it's trying to play with, and you know, I will accept the movie for what it is, but it complicates my relationship with the film, and it really hurts my enjoyment of it. I mean, we haven't even talked about the other problematic elements of this film, which I feel like the optics on the black servant taking the bullet yeah. for Ray Fiennes at the end of the movie isn't great, despite the fact that it's simultaneously trying to be like, oh, he's good because, you know, he he has the servants, but then he, in, in secret, you know, they're like really his friends and they're like all, he treats them like equals. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, but he still has the servants though. Yeah, definitely. That is like the big thing is like the servant network and the relationship. I mean, though, touching between Conrad and Shola, like I like that too, where it's like he kind of raised Conrad in a lot of ways and is like more of his, his mentor in a lot of ways than Ray finds at first. Like you can see him physically training, but then it's, it's still definitely like, he's like, you know, driving their carriage around South Africa while there's, like, concentration Another, camps happening. Yeah, yeah, the Boer War prologue. Yeah, real weird, huh? What a weird thing. And then the real tragedy is just Ray Fine's wife dying. Yeah, and not anything <laughs> yeah. that happened in South Africa during that time. Certainly not. No, sir, we don't have a Kingsman about that yet, sir. Again, because I think Jamon Hanzu's character, Shola, is a really fun character, like you were saying. I think I enjoy him a lot, and I like his back and forth with the other characters. Mm -hmm. I also really don't like the optics of having Gemma R. Turton's character, who I want to say is Polly. Polly is exactly right. Yeah. Despite the fact that she is significantly younger than Ray finds and works for him. They like, when he's at his lowest, she like kisses him as like a pick me up or something. Did you, that came out of nowhere, huh? It I didn't... really does. And again, Cause... I don't like the optics on that. Like, why, I don't either, no. Why is that like, why is it in the movie? Ray Fine, they don't, they aren't together at the end. That's not like a, it's not a culmination of a love story, which well, in itself would be weird, but at least would be something. It, it almost seems like they're going to start that at the very beginning when he's like, Polly, let me see you in my study. I'm going to talk to you sternly. But then it's like, oh, they are friends. And it almost feels like there's a, a flirting thing. But then they just like, oh, they drop it. I was, I thought I was like, oh, maybe I picked up on something that wasn't there. And that it's just they are really close friends and that they are working on this network together. But yeah, that kiss was weird. I think it's all weird. Yeah. I do like this movie enough. I want to be... I, I, I know we've just spent the last 20 minutes talking about <laughs> all of this weirdness about it. But, I mean, I think the third act is fantastic. I love yes. um, the plane. I love the him cutting. I love him having to sheer climb the cliff face, sticking yeah. knives in his shoes, just like in the first Kingsman movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think all of that works super well. And I think it's a really kinetic and entertaining third act where the pieces are set up really well and executed really well and i just wish it were in, at the end of a better movie yeah i think we could probably do nothing but praise the action scenes in this film i think that we you know went really deep on our distaste for the church scene 
in the first Kingsman movie, but even when they get as dark as like the World War One No Man's Land knife fight, it, it it is still like action movie brutal, but they they do it in a way that isn't like I don't know. There's no pop music playing over the World War One battles, which it's I appreciated, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and I I would say even like what could be considered like the church scene, quote unquote, of this movie, which I would say is the Rasputin fight is so much better than that. Like it's, it's an honest to God blast whenever they, they get to that kind of stuff in this movie. And I, I have no problems with that, including the entire third act climax cliff infiltration battle where they got Lothar is there, <laughs> you know, he's doing his thing. <laughs> Calm down, Frankenstein. You're not sword-proof. Stabbing him all over the place. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. And, oh, yeah, they like absolutely drop multiple people off that cliff, too, oh, which I was happy about. Um, That American industrialist, who I'm assuming is a real guy. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, probably. Who is in that elevator and gets just absolutely just dropped. <laughs> Dude, they do not cut away from bodies hitting the ground in this movie. It's just like they turn into dust in the rocks. It's great. The only part of the third act I really don't care for is the thing you already mentioned where he uses the metal to cut through the scarf. I mean, I love it when the goat stabs him in the leg, the goat that he's been abusing abusing. the whole movie. Angus. Angus. (laughs) Where's the Angus solo movie? Hell yeah. Angus is going to be in the the next one. Is like they're taking care of him at the Kingsman. I hope so. I hope so. I had a very complicated experience watching this movie. I did ultimately (laughs) enjoy my time watching it. Uh, it's not a movie I intend on revisiting anytime soon. I will be interested to watch it in one sitting when the next Kingsman comes out and maybe we do a rewatch at some point. I yeah, mean, that'd be fun. I'll, I'll watch it when I rewatch the other ones, probably, but I don't know if I'll seek this out independently. Agreed. Agreed on that. Yeah. Because I think Ray Fiennes is really good in this. I think he oh, gives totally. a great performance. Uh, he's really entertaining. I almost forgot about like his sad, uh, you know, post- death of conrad he is like acting the hell out of a devastated father in that role like before he rallies it is it is yeah he's great definitely so yeah ultimately a movie that's confused um on its own (laughs) politics i think and its own themes Mm. the violence is not as jarring as it is in the first two films which is good and bad in a way because i think it could have been capitalized on more to make the war more horrific in Mm. its own way but it is shocking the story at its core is genuinely good and engaging with its characters but it's over reliance and over inclusion on real world geopolitics from the first world war really hinder it for me 100 percent agreed on that is that it is that all we have to say about the king's man i think i think that's all she wrote any any final intrusive thoughts that are coming back to you right at this very moment Not i wish they one. put that uh Ra Ra rasputin song during the fight but that's some behind the scenes editing for somebody to do later <laughs> yes i'm sure uh, i'm sure you could go right now on youtube and search oh that. yeah th- yeah yeah i think i think it's time to move on all right let's uh let's do our pop culture reference of the episode let's do it for today's pop culture reference we're going to be talking about the recent disney lgbt legislation controversy that is ongoing after florida introduced what is being referred to as the don't say gay bill which would legally restrict the ability to teach about LGBT issues at schools, 
many criticized the Disney Corporation's public silence on the proposed bill, especially due to the company's funding of legislators who created the bill, and despite outspoken condemnation of other contemporary human rights concerns, including the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Disney chief Bob Chapek then sent an internal email to its employees stating that the company had no intention of publicly denouncing the bill, stating instead that it would bolster the LGBT community by creating, quote, inspiring content. Public outcry increased after Chapek's email became public, with many LGBT employees and allies from throughout the Disney company's many branches speaking out against the tone-deaf email. A letter signed from, quote, the LGBTQIA plus employees of Pixar and their allies was released criticizing Chapek's letter, calling out the company for, quote, capitalizing on pride by selling Disney-themed pride merchandise and condemning the statement about inspiring content, stating that Disney has demanded the cutting of, quote, nearly every moment of overtly gay affection, regardless of if there was protest from both the creative teams and the executive leadership at Pixar. On March 9th's Disney shareholder meeting, Chapek publicly addressed the controversy, stating that Disney had been against the bill from the beginning and merely did not want to take a public stance. He also pledged a $5 million donation to the Human Rights Council, which the HRC is refusing until, quote, meaningful action is taken by Disney. At this time, it is unclear what further action Disney will take and if Disney will stop donating to the legislators who created the bill. Since the story broke, Disney has been releasing a near-constant stream of marketing promoting its most anticipated properties, including trailers for Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi and Moon Knight. Yeah, it's it's not great seeing the company that has absorbed everything that you love do stuff like this. And especially since it kind of almost worked on me. Uh, you had to remind me of this controversy because of all of the insane things that have been happening and they are definitely very trained in how to hide behind a lot of other things to get away from controversies like this i think it's a pretty transparent marketing attempt i am glad that so many employees have been speaking up and so many allies have been speaking up from within and outside of the company because like disney is one of the most powerful companies in the world and it's certainly mm. the most powerful media company in the world it has the political capital to genuinely impact the course of world events it's not like they were just not taking action but that they were actually funding the yeah. legislators who are initiating this kind of discrimination you and i were talking about before the show if we're going to talk about disney stuff as much as we do on this show especially literally up at the top of the show talking about the obi-wan kenobi trailer We've also got to address the fact that a lot of the things that Disney does are to cover up the fact that they are a faceless media conglomerate that ultimately mm -hmm. is bent on ruling the world. <laughs> Not even a joke, yeah. It's a very disheartening thing that we will continue to monitor as it progresses, I think. Like we were just saying, this is a history of things like this happening, and, and I would hope that they could clean it up a little bit from here on out, especially with the absolute bungle that this... You know, the optics on this, the public nature of how terrible this looks right now for them. I, they, they're going to have to do something big, especially since their, you know, $5 million check, get out of jail free card is being put on hold until they actually do something. And good for the Human Rights Council. That is... Yeah, definitely. That is a power move if I've ever seen one. And like you said, if you can, can kind of get the stranglehold on one of the most powerful companies in the world, like you were saying, then you're, you're going to go for it. 
But also, what is $5 million to Disney? It's nothing. It's truly, it's nothing. Well, I mean, to Disney, it's nothing. That's why they're like, all right, we'll, we'll give $5 million and we'll be fine. But now they're just like, that's not going to cut it, man. You have mm-hmm. to be better. And that, I hope, will be something. I hope something comes of that. What say we move on to our Save the Rec Center for today? Let's do it. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Garrett, you want to go up? Let me ask you a question, Seamus. Ooh. Do you like scary movies? (laughs) Oh my god. I know where this is going. You already knew I watched this earlier this week. Um, (laughs) uh, I signed up for a Paramount Plus free trial, a streaming service I have no interest in continuing to have, (laughs) uh, in order to watch Scream 5, or as it's actually called, Scream 2022. I'm a recent convert to the Scream series. They really work for me. I don't think there are any bad Scream movies. I think 3 is obviously the weakest of them. I think Mm -hmm. that's the general consensus. But I really enjoyed Scream 5 because not only is it just another Scream movie, but it is an excellent elevation of the meta commentary that Scream is known for and specifically targeting it at modern legacy reboots, especially Halloween 2018, which is, I think, why it's not called Scream 5. I honestly don't know anything about it, and I, too, am a huge Scream fan. The first four are amazing. The first one is absolutely legendary. I rewatched it, you know, this last Halloween. I thought Scream 4 was kind of a perfect way to round it out and end it, but I'm really happy to know that this new one just kind of keeps it keeps it coming, especially from somebody like you as such a recent convert, as you said before, uh, to have it really scratch that itch for you. I, I can't wait to really get my hands on it. It's directed by the Ready or Not guys, by the way. I really like Ready or Not a lot, and I think they're a perfect... It, it should either have been them or Christopher Landon who does um, the Happy Death Day. Oh, yeah. And I think they really hit it on the head for the most part. There are a few issues I have, one of them being that I agree that Scream 4 is a really great place to leave Sidney Prescott's story, mm-hmm. and that bringing her back in this one does kind of complicate that a little bit, and that I hope that she's in at least one more, because it doesn't quite focus on her enough to be the end of her story, I don't think. Well, she'll be trapped in a hospital room for scream kills for like 20 minutes and then we'll never see her again. I I hope that the next scream movie addresses Halloween <laughs> kills because oh boy. Uh dude, the way the the fact that you're telling me now that this is even more meta than it could have ever gotten, I I really want to get in there. It's, it sounds like a lot of fun. Well, what do you have this week, Seamus? Well, this week, Garrett, you have it Two, technically, you probably haven't tried it yet because you have the longest list of video games I have ever seen anybody have. But guess it was technically the headliner game this month for PS Plus was Ghostwire. Have you tried Ghostwire yet? I don't even think I've claimed my games for the month, if I'm being honest, Seamus. Brother, at least claim this one for 10 years from now when you have the free time, because it is a blast. It is like a cyberpunk future dystopian world first-person wall-running game where you're a cyborg with a samurai sword, and... If that doesn't sound crazy enough for you, it is just like a Mega City 1 style building you have to climb and fight basically Dr. Octopus with tentacle arms. And it is 
absolutely doing it for me right now. It's super fast paced and it is insanely hard. I'll admit it is <laughs> maybe going to like destroy your spirit, Garrett. But once you get a groove down of wall running and jumping and uh, dying like a hundred times because it's a one hit kill for you every time, it's really it's I played like 10 minutes of it and I was like, oh, screw this game. I'm not going to play it. And then I was like. An hour into it, palms are sweating on the PS5 controller, just, like, struggling. But once you get it, oh, it's so satisfying, Garrett. Please, give it a try sometime. It's going to be a little weird, but I I highly recommend it. I got over Returnal's learning curve, but I don't know. That sounds insane to me. I will will give it a shot. Yeah, it's cool. Give it a shot. It's very very fun, but, man, even the tutorial, I died, like, 200 times. It's crazy. Outstanding. But that wraps us up for the show this week. If you want to reach the show directly, you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. If you want to hit us up on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you go ahead and drop us a like, a subscribe, a comment on YouTube, anywhere else you know that you can leave us a, a rating or a review, that would greatly help the show in a thousand different ways. Next week, what we have on the schedule is West Side Story, which that Ooh. sounds pretty fun to me. Yeah, man, I still haven't seen it. Maybe that's maybe we need to have a little rumble and you know get it going. You know, watch a three and a half hour movie in in your dorm room. I don't think it's. I think West Side Story is only two and a half hours. But oh, is it? Oh, why was I expecting it to be so much longer? I mean, there's a lot of long movies out this year. I haven't watched Drive My Car yet, which is on HBO Max now, but it's three hours long, and I just haven't had the time. Ooh. Yeah. But yeah, um, I'm excited. West Side Story, man. Hell yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to talking about that next week with you, Seamus. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.